Well, if you're home, you better have your Bible. So uh, get, get your Bible. The uh, text for today is found on uh, page 9 in your bulletin, but uh, Leviticus 9. We're going to look at together. Again, uh, read this. So we're going to check this up a little bit. Say one. Okay, good? Okay. Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 9. We'll just read through this quickly. It should be familiar from last Sunday. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your burnt off sorry, your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat in the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs, and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering, took the goat of the sin offering, it was for the people, and killed it and offered it as a sin offering, like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering, and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces and the... The fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver. He put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar, but the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. And Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Father, we ask you to keep us attentive, keep us hungry as we come to your word, Lord. Help us to find here the bread of life. And we ask you to give us power to do your will in this world as we receive your saying to us here in Jesus' good name. So something I have never heard in almost a year of pandemic. I've not once heard people say, as you know, these viruses are taking over host cells in people's body and compromising respiratory systems and all that. I've never once heard people say, you know, this is fine. Things have to coexist. Viruses have rights too. We just all kind of need to, you know, live together in peace. <laughs> because, you know, there's just this 
instinctive understanding that when it comes to our bodies, if something is going to compromise your body, it's, you know, what be a cancer or a virus or whatever, if it's going to compromise the way your body is supposed to work and even threatens your very life, it's just not okay and something has to be done about it and we can rejoice in how much modern medicine can do about these sorts of things. But I think if, as simple as that obviously seems, if you think about it, we also, we extend that way of thinking to our, kind of our humanity as a whole. It's not just about our bodies. As we think about being human in this world, there are many things about which we always say, that isn't fine. That is just not okay. That kind of behavior is dehumanizing. You know, having that kind of stuff going on in your head, that's, that's like inhumane. And in the business of just being humans in the world, there's this kind of intuitive understanding that some things are healthy for us as human beings. They're clearly the way things are supposed to be. And other things undermine our humanness, and they, they even can potentially turn into something pretty monstrous, as, as history shows. Well, in the first few pages of the Bible, there are a couple of things that make perfect sense out of that intuition. And we all, we all, it doesn't really matter if you're religious or not. There's that kind of intuitive sense. Some stuff isn't okay. And the Bible, in the first couple of pages, helps us understand why we have that intuition. And the two things in the opening pages of the Bible are creation, just the simple fact that God made human beings good. You know, there are people who don't believe that. But the Bible says that before us, that there's just this creation, it's good creation. God loves it, it's, it's as it's supposed to be, including us as humans. And then there's this thing, sort of on top of that, that the Bible calls sin. Sin is like a virus. It is, it parasitically lives off the good stuff God has made, but it will kill it. And so you've got creation and sin, those two big pieces. And it isn't very long after we human beings decide to sin against God that the Bible starts to talk about something that we call grace. And grace is basically just God's acting to destroy what destroys humanity. God is not against our humanness. He's not against what the nature that he created. But God is, I'll use the word, hostile to what destroys human beings. And that, the reason I'm saying all that is because I think that helps us explain helps explain to us why sometimes as Christians living in, in the world today we feel kind of weird. <laughs> I'm sure you probably have had this feeling if you're faithfully following Jesus. There are times where you feel like you are so out of step with other people. You're so out of, you, you're so like not okay with what you have come to realize are viral ways of living. They're, they're ways of living that actually destroy humanness and yet the tension is that the reason you don't you, you can't be okay with those ways of living is because you love humanness. Because you love humanity. You, you actually are, have a, a great desire to see human beings living in full health, in the fullness of what God made them to be. So there's this tension. And last week what I tried to do was use a somewhat different word picture for this. I described creation, and I, I have some reason for this, uh, creation as God's symphony. You know, you look at the wild glories and beauties of creation, it's like this wild symphonic music that God has created and is still writing. And, and, and the way we thought about it last week, creation, the whole cosmos, everything in it, it is just reverberating with the presence of God and the purposes of God. God is here. God is with us in creation. It's full of his life that he's given it. And he has a purpose for it. He's taking it somewhere. That music 
is, is like a symphony. And sin, you know, our, our disobedience to God and our refusing to worship and serve him, sin has filled that music with a lot of really jarring dissonances. You know, my kids are more and more into creating music, and, you know, we're learning about dissonance. Like, that kind of doesn't work at all. It jars us. And, and sin is also very stubbornly silent. God wants music, and we're like, no, I'm not going to play. But the Bible tells us that where sin abounded, getting back to grace, where sin abounded, filling the music with all this ugliness, grace much more abounded. And actually, grace is like a whole new movement of the symphony. Because God decides to do something so amazing. Instead of just destroying sinners, what sin has killed, God resurrects. God has the power to take what sin has destroyed and actually bring it back to health and life. To heal it. In fact, to do more than heal it. To glorify it. To make it even more glorious on the other side of his grace. You can think of it that, that God enlarges the music somehow, despite our sin. And that as he sent Jesus into the world, and Paul s- describes Jesus as putting all things back together, God is going to make even more glorious harmony in heaven and earth through the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and now the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the world. That's a whole other kind of music. And so what we're looking at in this short series is that worship, like what we're doing today, and this is very weird, and the live stream worship is pretty unsatisfactory, but worship around the world, however strange it may seem to the world, like why would you get together and do that? Worship, we've said, is a rehearsal of the music. It's a way of rehearsing together kind of the basic melody of what life is like when God restores people to his presence to live for his purposes. And we've seen that there's a kind of melody arc to this music, which is what we've been looking at throughout the series. It, the music begins with God's call. And by the way, your, your bulletin, if you look carefully, these this, this is actually kind of traced out in our liturgy too. Everything begins with God calling people to himself, and then he has to cleanse them, which is what the sin offering is about in this text. And today we're going to move to the third part of the melody, kind of the peak of the melody arc, which is that having called people and cleansed people, God then consecrates people. And that's kind of a big word. We'll talk about it. And that's what the burnt offering is showing us. Now this, I want to, I want to go to the text just for a few minutes. I want to look at this because this, we said last week, this is kind of a weird rehearsal. Um, this is, you know, before Jesus and some of the instruments we see here, we're not accustomed to these and that's a good thing. <laughs> It'd be a pretty messy business to offer sin offerings and burnt offerings every week, but I want to look at the details, and I want to look at a dynamic in these details about the burnt offering. The details matter. They can be a little bit tedious, but notice the details about the burnt offering. I just want to notice two details about the burnt offering. So now we're we're looking especially in verse 12 here. You can look at your notes in verse 12. Two quick details. One is you'll notice that unlike the sin offering, in the burnt offering, we're not moving away from God. We're moving toward God. So the blood of the sin offering is way down at the base of the altar, as far away from God as you can get. And then most of the burnt, uh, most of the sin offering was taken outside the camp and burned. So the sin offering is moving away from God in judgment. The burnt offering is not. The burnt offering is moving toward him. Because now the blood, you'll notice, um, in uh, verse 12, is thrown against the sides of the altar. So we're kind of getting closer to that fiery cloud of God's presence on top of the altar. That's one detail. And the second detail is that unlike the sin offering, most of which was burned outside the camp, every single part of this burnt offering is rearranged 
Some of it is washed. You, know, you can imagine why you want to wash the entrails and the legs. And then it is all put on the altar, and the entire animal is transformed into smoke. And I don't know if you've ever smelled meat cooking. You obviously probably have. It's actually wonderful. Uh, earlier in chapter 1, it's described as a, a pleasant aroma to the Lord. And this animal is transformed into smoke, and that smoke would ascend up into the fiery cloud of God's presence. You'll notice in verse 24, when they're all finished, the fire of God's glory comes out, and the burnt offering is consumed by God's glory. It's actually taken up into God's glory, and it joins God in his glory. And so the burnt offering is not a picture so much of being cast out of God's presence, but actually the very opposite. It's a life that is now comprehensively with God and for God. It's fit for his presence, and it's devoted to his purposes. That's what we see in the details. But now I want you to notice the dynamic here, the movement. This is important. God brings the worshiper into his presence and into his purposes before we're fit to be there. I really want to think about that just for a second. We are brought into God's presence and into God's purposes, into God's life and glory, before we are fit at all to be there. God makes us, we could say it, God makes us saints, holy ones, before we are even remotely saintly. Because you can see the sequence here. You don't, the, the, uh, the, the worshiper can't bring the burnt offering until the sin offering has been offered. The, the sin has the sin of the worshiper has been taken away and placed on that sin offering and cursed by God. But actually, it's in the burnt offering itself, too. You'll notice. So we have the sin offering, then the burnt offering. But in the burnt offering, the worshiper's life can be offered up to God only because this animal has been accepted by God. So it's the idea here that God is showing the people of Israel you can only offer your life to God because God has already accepted the substitute. You and I can begin to devote ourselves to God. I mean, we come as sinners. We're not devoted to God. We're not even, sometimes I don't even want to be devoted to God. But we can come to God and we can begin in His presence, under His love, begin to live dedicated lives devoted to Him. But we can only do that because the Lamb was fully devoted to God before us. That animal went into God's presence and was consumed with God's presence and God's purposes. Literally taken up into God's own life. Perfectly obedient, 100% dedicated. Because the substitute was accepted, we now can come and begin to live in devotion to God. So if the sin offering was a way of showing Israel what it would look like when the Messiah was cursed for them, the burnt offering was showing what it would look like when Messiah was obedient for them. And we know who that Messiah was, Jesus Christ. His self-offering as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. and who's, oh, He's not just the Lamb who takes away our sin. His self-offering to the Father, the perfection of humanity, not a single act of disobedience. He didn't even omit to do anything that God required. You know, we, we think of, like, big bad sins. Not doing the good is also sin. Jesus did everything the Father wanted him to do perfectly, and we're told that by that self-offering of our Lord, his perfect righteousness, we have been, the Bible uses the word, sanctified. We have been saintified. We have been made holy. And what that means, that dynamic, what that means is that consecration, by that I just mean 
being devoted to God in our lives. Our consecration, dear saints, is not trying to become what we're not. So often when I think when we as Christians hear God say, be holy like I'm holy, it just seems impossible. Like you have to try to become something or not. That's actually not true. Consecration for us, because of the offering of Christ, it's just becoming what we are. God has already made us holy. God's acceptance of us, totally secure because of Jesus' obedience, that acceptance is what fuels us and empowers us to make really radical changes. Not like halfway measures, but like you really sold out to God because we're loved, because we're accepted, because of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, you are not your own. Because you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Or to put that in father-son terms, you are sons. You're already part of God's family, which is why then you can live like sons. You don't have to work to earn your sonship. You don't have to earn to keep your sonship. You don't have to earn work to, to, to prove your sonship. You just have to live out your sonship. You work, you live for your father the way sons live when they know they're going to inherit the kingdom. Now let me turn a corner here with that dynamic coming out of the details. God's consecrating us, making us his own through Christ, and then we start to live as the holy people we are. It's interesting that the Bible, I want to be a little more practical here, the Bible describes that life with God, that life for God, that life of belonging with him, given over to him. The Bible describes that consecrated life not just as sonship, but also as priesthood. So let me turn a corner here, and I want to think about a, a, a text in the New Testament that I think will make more sense to you now that we've just worked through the burnt offering. The Old Testament burnt offering, like the rest of the animal sacrifice system in the Old Testament, was, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us, it was a shadow of good things to come. So think with me for a moment about this burnt offering. Imagine this, this uh, burnt offering, this animal being killed, and think about what it is foreshadowing. I mean, it's obvious, as I've just said, that it is foreshadowing uh, Christ who offered a unique sacrifice. You and I can't offer anything like what Jesus offered to the Father, because his sacrifice was perfectly obedient, and therefore it was a saving sacrifice. It took away our sins and presented to the Father perfect obedience. That's unique. That's None of us can ever even, we should not even try to imitate that. That's Jesus, his offering. But the burnt offering didn't just foreshadow Jesus' sacrifice. It also foreshadowed what Paul in Romans 12 calls living sacrifices. You guys know this text well. In fact, we talk about it all the time, but if we thought about how it connects to the burnt offering. We heard two weeks ago Peter tell us, you have been called out of darkness to be a kingdom of what? A kingdom of priests, and we're the offering. So we're priests now. We enter into God's presence to bring sacrifices and offerings. What we bring is ourselves, living sacrifices. The Apostle Paul, you know this well. I'll, I'll read it to you. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you. Brothers, by the mercies of God through Christ, to present your lives, your bodies in particular, as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, that's your reasonable act of worship. So what we are seeing in the burnt offering is not just a picture of Christ and what he will do, but of what we are to do as we come to God and we offer him 
our lives. And we want to do that. We're not, you know, being coerced. We want to bring our lives to God, and then God will transform us as we do that. Now, I just want to say, in the kind of the back half of this sermon, I want to say a few things about what it means to bring your life to God every day as a burnt offering, you know, as a, as a living sacrifice. Just three quick things about it. And I will try to be quick, but I think this is just good to, to ponder. Living sacrifices. I beseech you, bring your bodies to God as living sacrifices. Three quick things about that. Number one, you'll notice, this is going to be disrupted. <coughs> This is going to be disruptive. Because when I, when I, I, I'm not sure this is what was in the mind of the writer of Hebrews when he wrote this, but when I look at the burnt offering in the Old Testament, and, and think about what happens. The animal's chopped all up, cut up into pieces, kind of the pieces are piled on the altar, certain pieces are washed, and the head's put on there. You kind of have this animal that's been all kind of, you know, rearranged. I, I think about what the writer of Hebrews says when he says, the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts into soul and spirit, joints, marrow, it gets even into the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, when he brings his word into our life, he just starts moving, you know, topping things up and kind of moving things around, and it's disruptive. God, when he gets into our life, you know, we bring our lives to God. You've you got to be ready for this. God is going to get into the ruts of your mind. You know, maybe it's being, you know, almost 46. I've realized I, my mind has ruts. I've got, some, I've got ways of thinking that are so ingrained, I don't even think about the fact that I think this way. And God has a way of just, like, jarring you out of these ruts. He gets into your assumptions about the world. This stuff you just assume, and all of a sudden you realize you can't assume that anymore. He gets into your motives, the why of what you do. It's not enough just to do good things. You've got to figure out if your heart's really, you know, right before the Lord. He gets into your insecurities. You know, one of the craziest things about dealing with people is you just realize how utterly insecure we are. And God just goes after that stuff. He just, he gets into all the stuff that shakes you up, and he starts shaking it. He gets into your emotional dynamics. I don't want that stuff exposed. He gets into your priorities. He gets into your treasures. And he just starts, like, rearranging things. He starts throwing things away. You know, God is not tolerant. He, he just isn't. God is not tolerant. And, and you know the truth is, <laughs> I want to say this carefully, God is not even necessarily always tender. I've had moments when I just feel like God has just wrung me out and, you know, kind of dropped me on the ground a few times, and, and he's just into our business. Why is he doing this? Why is he rearranging us this way? Beloved, it's because he is determined to make us whole. Can I say something to you that I don't know if you all believe? It's hard for me, too. Being made whole is disruptive when you're used to being sick. You can get so used to being sick, you're extra comfortable being sick. You can be a mess, and you're so... You know, you're, you're, you don't like being a mess, but the truth is you like being a mess more than you like not being a mess anymore. And you just kind of get, get comfortable in, in stuff that is just not what God wants. And he loves us more than we love ourselves, and so he's not going to stop until we are fully what he made us to be. Well, God, you know, what, what's that, God? <laughs> what exactly is it you want us to be? What is, it, what is this disruptive wholeness about? Well, a couple quick things about this. It means, number one, God wants you to be free from sin. I mean, beloved, he wants the virus out of your body. We just don't share that aspiration. I, I've realized this about myself. Even as a pastor, people think pastors, I guess, maybe don't, somehow are different spiritually. We're, we're not different spiritually. I don't want to let go of some of my sins. That's the honest truth. I, I actually have realized that the idea of being completely not living in any sin anymore, I, I don't even aspire to that. It just seems so impossible. 
and we resign ourselves to, we just get, we just get re- resigned to, and in fact, sometimes we're actually pretty tolerant of stuff that God says he hates. Your life is holy ground. God wants the Canaanites driven out. And if you say, I can't, you know, I've had that anger problem my whole life. I mean, really, what are you going to do when you see that particular image just so allures your lusts? I mean, can you really stop being anxious? Can you really learn to enjoy God in prayer? Can, can, can you really be at a place where you don't have any buttons to push anymore? Where you're, you're actually your heart is full of virtue? I mean, the truth is, we just say, I'm not, I'm not, we're like the Israelites with the Canaanites. We're just not, we're not able. I, I can't. I, I, can't, I can't get strong like that. I, I can't get wise like that. I, I can't... You know what we're doing? We, we're just denying the presence of God. We're denying the power of God. We're denying the very purpose of God. The viral, toxic lie of sin is you are your own. You can have self-ownership. You can have self-rule. You can have self-sufficiency. God is not going to stop until the last trace of that virus is purged from his holy temple, and your heart is free to love him with all of it, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is what he's after, and wants you free from sin. And disruptive wholeness means something else, too. It doesn't just mean freedom from sin. It gets crazier. It means God wants you to be formed for rule. Formed to rule. God isn't just interested in having children who are no longer terminally ill. That's not what God is after in the end. God isn't just trying to make sure his kids aren't, you know, his children are not terminally ill. God is interested in training sons and daughters to rule a kingdom. I, I don't even know how to sort of inspire the imaginations of Christians today with this. God, his, his, his insistent purpose because it rule a kingdom. Through you, God wants to mediate his grace, his truth, his wisdom, his love. Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard describes it this way. God wants to mediate his kingdom through personalities mature in Christ. God wants to make you a pillar, a conduit of his goodness and his wisdom and his faithfulness and his power and his grace and all of this. Uh, It can just be very sobering how little that vision really grips us. And not just not sinning, not just free from sin, but formed to rule. Dallas Willard says something, actually, I, I just find this, Really, really, it sets me back a little bit, but it's good. I think it's good to hear because he he said Western Christians, Western Christians, in fairly comfortable parts of the world, at least up till now, Western Christians simply do not advance very far into the health and strength of Christ. I'll tell you, I've seen this, seen it in my own life. We Christians in comfortable parts of the world, we don't, we just don't advance very far into the health and strength of Christ. He says, psychological counselors frequently find little difference between the basic attitudes, actions, and afflictions of their unbelieving clients and those of the believers with which they deal. And it's true. But lest this disruptive wholeness really seem outward and, and unreachable, because I was thinking as I was getting this part of the sermon, right, I don't want that to be discouraging. I mean, we need to think with bigger vision about freedom from sin being formed for rule. But lest that seem just way out there and unattainable, notice two other quick things about living sacrifices. It, this isn't just disruptive, bringing your, your, your life to God. It's also physical. And this, I think, is helpful. Present your bodies. Now, I, I, there's some stuff I have a hard time imagining, but 
actually, when I think about my body and where my body is, I can kind of realize this is actually a fairly small space, and I can kind of do something here. You know, and, and, and earlier in, in Romans uh, 6, Paul said, don't present your members of your body to sin. Don't give over your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what, what I would encourage you is you think about what it means to offer your body to God. And there's kind of this almost panic about how disruptive is this going to be. Think about your body. Your body is somewhere. Your body's in a situation right now. And God is not interested in you offering somebody else's body in somebody else's situation and doing something he's called someone else to do. God's given you your body, where it is, in your situation, and that is what God wants to be an instrument of his righteousness. And freedom and formation really start with just a very simple statement to God. Here, here are my members. Here's my body, Lord. Right now, here's my body. As I'm preaching, here's my body. Where you're sitting, God... Here's my, here's my body. What does God want your body for? I think just basically two things. God wants you to present your members to God, to enjoy Him, and to serve other people. Don't overcomplicate it. God wants you to present your members of your body to Him, to enjoy Him, and to serve other people. Why would I say enjoy God? I, I, enjoy God. Because I think that a lot of times we Christians have this idea that God just wants us to obey Him. Like he's some kind of distant manager, he gives us, you know, he sends us a memo, tells us what to do, and we just do it. God wants his children to experience the peace and the pleasure of knowing him. You can't obey a God you don't love, and you can't love a God you don't know. But to get to know anybody, you have to present yourself to them. If I feel like Sarah and I are not being particularly close, you know, we feel like those kind of those cold, distant times have come in our marriage. There's no way we're going to close that gap if I don't present myself to her. If I feel like I need to work on a friendship, I feel like you know, if there's anybody in this world I want to get to know, you've got to present yourself and say, here I am. <laughs> Let's do whatever. And, and, you know, God is present to you, dear saint. God is present to you. The question is whether you're present to him. Are you presenting yourself to him? Here I am, Lord. The truth is, God often seems distant to us because we just don't present ourselves to him. Many of us, the reason why God feels far away from you, it's not complicated. You need to do something with your body. You need to go sh shut off the noise, shut out the, you know, all the racket that just has you buzzing all the time. Take your body and open up your senses. You know, go outside today and stand in the snow and behold the works of the Lord. You know, go, go, stand at the seashore, or, you know, just look around at some other thing in creation. You know, look at your children. Look at, you know, focus your mind. God, here's my mind. My mind is all over the place. Help me to meditate. Help me to pray. Help me to lift up my voice. Here's my tongue, Lord. Help me to learn how to just speak your name and, and remember that you are here. You're here. You're present. I present myself to you to know you. And what you'll begin to find is as you present yourself to God to enjoy Him, you'll start to know God as you yourself are known by Him. And also to serve others. This is physical too. Because within the range of your body, I've got some here in my living room today, just within the range of your body, there are people who need to be loved and served. People who need to be noticed. People who need to be heard. And that's why God gave you your ears today. 
people who need to be enjoyed, people who need to be resourced, people who need to be reconciled, people who need to be healed. And the truth is, we are often oblivious to all of that until we consciously present our bodies to God for Him to use in priestly service. If you don't consciously say, God, here's my body, help me look around, who's here? Who needs service? If you're not presenting your members to God, you, you'll just you'll miss stuff God has placed before you that you could do in priestly service. And it is priestly service. Listen to the Apostle Paul talk about the Philippian church who sent him some, some a gift. He said, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, notice this, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They presented their bodies and served Paul. The same thing the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 of his letter. He says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So it's disruptive, it's physical. Lastly and quickly, it is also communal, because I had never noticed this until I, Richard Hayes pointed out in one of his books. Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice. All of the bodies of God's people are, in a certain sense, a single sacrifice. And if you get discouraged about you know, feeling like I don't have much to offer to God, there's a huge difference between my offering my little body to God by myself and us offering our bodies together to the Lord. That's a whole other kind of offering. When we can, I only bring a little bit, but you bring something too, and together we bring a living sacrifice to God, all of us, all of our bodies. And think about how that works over time. It's one thing for all of us, even, you know, if we get together and we're serving the Lord and knowing God and, 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 and doing all of this together now, but think about the, the effect as over generations. This generation offers itself to God, and then our children do it with us, and then our children's children do it with us. And there's this whole, you know, whether they're biological or spiritual children, over generations, the offering of God's people to Him. It's not all on you, is what I'm saying, this priestly work. You're just a small part of this whole living sacrifice through whom God is filling the earth with His glory. It is a communal sacrifice. And I will tell you that there's something about the pandemic that worries me. We've been at it almost a year. It is a communal offering to the Lord this living sacrifice. And the pandemic has really has really made that a lot more complicated. And for all the worries that I hear, and Christians are so up in arms about imposed isolation, you know, lockdowns and all this other stuff. We don't want to have imposed isolation. I actually have another worry. I think maybe even more troubling may be the fact that we could come to prefer isolation. I don't ever want a live stream worship service to become a comfortable alternative to the disruptions, and they are disruptions, of gathered, physical, communal offering of our worship and service to the Lord our God. I'll wrap up with this. You know what I love about consecration, this whole idea of a life given over to God? It's so positive. It's so hopeful. It's so constructive. It's so transformative because it's just grounded in the fact that God's creation and His grace can't be conquered. So many public Christians right now are just sounding alarm after alarm after alarm about all these viruses out there. I don't just mean, you know, corona. I mean, like, you know, this cultural virus and that thing that's destroying humanity and that thing that, you know, 
we're, we, God help us, you know, our poor kids growing up in this world. They're always speaking against. We sound like losers. The reality is sin may compromise nature. It has compromised nature. Sin cannot withstand grace. And as the people of God are offering themselves to the Lord, the grace of God is just going to replace all that sinful stuff. So what, this is my closing question to you, what are we doing? What are we planting? What are we building? What are we offering to God in devotion to Him that is just going to simply replace the ruins of sin in this generation and to a thousand generations? I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Father, move in us. And we thank you that we receive our offering. We pray that you will do it. Do that work of self offering with more intentionality, with more joy, and with more fruitfulness. In Jesus we pray. Amen.